Hello, and welcome to the Adapt and Overcome podcast series from Alt-RPO. In the evolving landscape of the COVID-19 pandemic, we decided to bring real people together to share their experiences and lessons learned, especially in regard to virtual work environments, strategy, and leading teams. These are real leaders having conversations about the challenges they're facing, hosted by our Alt-RPO CEO, Sean Olfeld, and Master Facilitator, John Hawley. These conversations are happening in the context of live bi-weekly webinars. If you'd like to learn more or participate in those webinars, you can visit altrpo.com slash webinar. Without further ado, here's our panel. Welcome, everybody. Um, just want to make sure that everybody understands it's going to be super lighthearted and fun. Uh, we want to make sure that we are, we're sharing the tacit knowledge of not only the panel that's here, but uh, the people that are, are listening in. So uh, I'll kick it to Emily here in a minute, who will kind of go through the Q&A and the chat features and, and how we're going to do that. We have an awesome panel of, of folks that you know, I won't, I won't bore you with all the details of why we're here. Hopefully you guys got that in the, uh, the promotions that we sent out and whatnot, and hopefully you'll have a, a taste of that throughout. Uh, again, idea is to not relive some of the same pitfalls that we're experiencing, share the tips that we have collectively and kind of act as a community together to make it through this transformation. Cool. So uh, we'll get started. I'm going to ask the first question to, uh, to Andrew, and uh, this is Based off of the information you told us in our informal sound check, we didn't tell you we were doing an informal sound check, but that was the, uh, the question that we asked you uh, earlier. If you could talk to, to us about the, the middle management step that you were talking about and receiving all of these clients all at once uh, and tell everybody kind of where you're, where you're at in all of that, that'd be great. Well, we, so I'm, I'm department head at Virginia Tech. Um, I think part of what's happening right now that everybody's experiencing probably that we can all uh, be on the same page with is fast information that's coming quickly from um, different um, sources and trying to figure out what the right path is and then trying to find a way to make sure that we have a, con a continuity of operations right so we um, really in terms of the university we see um, at least at Virginia Tech right now we see the syllabus you know what we kind of set out to do at the beginning of the semester as what we want to try to make sure we have uh, continue throughout the rest of the semester. We, we're trying as best as we can to uh, treat this as um, we're just not in person anymore and we're really going to be uh, over a screen and we want to continue to deliver um, what we had uh, planned on delivering exactly the same way as much as possible. Um, but of course you have all kinds of different uh, sides of that and, and questions and so um, part of the part of the issue that we're really dealing with is is of course just the the breakneck speed of all of this. So as we hear more and more, um, making sure that we understand exactly what, what it is we're supposed to be doing, how it's going to affect all the different people involved, and then uh, have a, a, a consistent message across all the different um, uh, people that we need to talk to. So um, we, we get information from either the federal government or we get information from the state government, and then we get information from the Department of Health, and then we get information from the university. And we try to, uh, you know, put it all together in a way that we know that we can have clarity and, and, and talk appropriate to the moment. Uh, but then, of course, um, uh, across the team, we have to make sure that everybody has a consistent message 
or that we also have a consistent message with what the institution itself is trying to um, uh, to, to have as its message. Um, and then, of course, just so many questions, especially as uh, we have, I don't know, 25,000 people kind of returning to one location after they've been spread out in different places, deciding uh, what that means and, and then how do we move forward um, from a public health standpoint, uh, standpoint from also from a delivery of content. Um, we also have, of course, even though we know that this day has been coming where we need to be online, um, we have a lot of different kind of uh, bumps in the road there. So uh, how do we set up the systems that allow people who might not be as ready as others uh, and then get it all kind of uh, moving along and, and have the right amount of time where we can ask people to be patient, uh, but then we really need to be delivering like we expect to be delivering. So that, that's a lot of what we've been trying to, to wrap our heads around. Yeah, thank, thanks for sharing that, Andrew. So um, with this transition and, and kind of the abruptness of it, uh, what have you guys, how is the communications flow managed? Um, so some, you know, some organizations kind of have that in play. I think most organizations don't. Maybe you could just kind of highlight what that communication flow looks like if you found something that, that works better. Um, kind of share that info. That would be helpful. So uh, we meet often and as much as possible right now. We, we're, I think before it was kind of if you were in the same building, you could just drop, drop by and talk to people and, and work with them. Now we have many more frequently scheduled meetings uh, and then we really get down to exactly what we need to talk about. Um, uh, so that, that's part of it. Part of it is um, the university's done a good job of kind of creating a, a place where all of that information that is official information can go and we can pass questions up and questions can and uh, solutions can be passed down or as different groups with different types of problems we're setting up um, places where everybody can share ideas um, so we've tried to create these kind of creative and it's really no more than at times a, um, a Google document where we say all right by this time today please have as much information in there that you can uh, share with us as to what you think we might be able to do and then we kind of as a group get back together assemble it and talk about what it means and what we think we should do I'll give you an example we really don't want to lose the culture we feel like in Virginia Tech and I'm sure every university feels this way um, that we have a great culture in our department and we're going to experience um, some problems with that as students are, are not necessarily going to be going through their final time you know as seniors and different sides of it um, and we really wanted to try to make sure that we stayed connected with them uh, partially because we really want them to know that we're sad that we're not able to be with them right now and to uh, interface um, uh, with them but also partially because we want to make sure that they under they keep that culture with them as they um, might be in a distant situation so uh, we we're, we're working out all kinds of ways to uh, uh, to have town halls with them, to, to, to uh, get together with them, but also then we're, we've really ramped up our social media platforms because we just, we feel like that's where we're going to be able to connect with people and send. I, I think originally the message was, listen, we really need to all be on the same page from an emergency response, from a um, planning standpoint, from a policy standpoint. And now we're kind of into a phase of, okay, can people send a photo with them trying to get work done while the dog is, you know, jumping up on you and your kids are asking you 50 questions and um, 
you know, by the way, we're running out of, out of food and, you know, whatever, you know, they just, yeah. just, you know, how do, how do we make sure that we send them a note saying, um, Hey, we're thinking about you. This is what I'm dealing with right now too, you know, and, and, and just kind of connect with them. And that's part of what we're trying to do. I appreciate yeah. that. And Susan, just, uh, if you, um, if you, what are you sharing any of the same challenges? So Susan, you're from Stanford. Um, if you could just kind of, kind of shed some light there as far as um, what you guys are experiencing. Sure, here at Stanford University, I oversee uh, the programs for executive education as part of the graduate school business. And mostly what I do is oversee staff who help implement the programs. And some of the issues are similar, although we're looking at different populations. I think a big issue in any emergency or uh, crisis situation that goes online is communication. So who communicates with whom? How do you communicate? Who makes the decisions? It can be pretty tricky. So one factor we have is deciding which tools are we gonna use? Certainly there are tools like Zoom, there are tools like Slack, there are tools like email. All are good, have different purposes. But if we're not clear what to communicate on which tool, staff sometimes spend extra time trying to figure out where to communicate. Who do I reach out to? How do I reach out? So that's a big issue. So setting some uh, clarity about that, I think has been very helpful. Another factor we found with, again, we have a lot of folks who are very proficient on online, but not in this situation, is giving them some structure. You know, when you go to work on a regular work day, you have a structure. You do certain things in a certain order, like you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, all that kind of stuff. In this situation, it's not so clear. Uh, we found that our highly competent staff really appreciate having templates, having protocols, having frequent meetings, you know, two to three mornings a week, just touching base. Oh yeah, that's where we're at. We're setting structure in a situation where there's so much uncertainty. One of the other things we're finding a little bit of a challenge, and I don't know if others are also, is who is the authority to make decisions on certain matters? So during the work, regular work environment, we have a way of making decisions. Let me touch base with our boss or someone else who needs to make this decision. In this situation, it's not always clear who makes the decision, and it's also an opportunity to rethink, wait a minute, we've been having boss make this decision for a long time. Is that really necessary? Can we delegate decisions to different levels for authority? I, I think this is a good opportunity for us to think about what decisions should be made by whom. You know, which programs for us in executive education will we postpone, which will be canceled? How will we communicate with our, with our individual participants? We have people coming from over 50 countries um, to our programs at Stanford University that are very well received. Um, we want to be individual in our response to each of those individuals. Plus, we have programs for custom clients, that is, businesses who come to us together. How do we want to respond in a way that makes sense? And another challenge I just want to throw out here is that there's always a struggle for me between the timeliness of communicating and getting it accurate and getting the right approvals. So some folks are like, hey, let's get it out right now. Timely, want it, give it short and sweet. Others are like, wait, wait, wait. Do we have the right tone? Have we got the details right? And I think there's a traditional struggle in a situation like this to decide between timeliness and that accuracy and tone issue and decision-making. So those are some of the things I see as, as challenges and opportunities. So I'm gonna jump in here super quick. I, I see a lot of familiar faces or not faces, but names in the attendees list and so uh, before I take my phone out and start texting some of you guys, if, uh, if you guys could come up with some questions or maybe tips or thoughts yourself, uh, again, based on what Emily said, 
if you have tips or tricks, we really appreciate you to put them in the, in the chat feature so that we can roll those up in some sort of newsletter that'll go to other people uh, to, to benefit them. But if you have a, like a follow on or piggyback with any of the people that are, are currently speaking and you want to throw that out as a and a uh, Emily will, will interrupt me or them uh, or Sean and, and get those questions asked now while we have the people that are here. So uh, please do that. I, I will take my phone out and, and maybe ask you questions. So um, I'll jump in, John. Uh, yeah. So no, thanks for having us here. Uh, my name is Vishal. I, I'm at Microsoft. I'm part of the cybersecurity solutions group. So, you know, though we're a large enterprise organization, we work with organizations that span from nonprofit all the way to global enterprise. And, and some of the hardest hitting um, businesses and organizations right now that we're seeing that are struggling are, are kind of our small medium business organizations or even, even our healthcare nonprofit um, organizations that are really struggling with some of the things that both Susan and Andrew, you both mentioned, I, I heard it both in, in both your sentiments was communication. Right. How are we communicating? I also heard, you know, in my, in my just two years, I heard the word tools, right? What tools are we using to communicate? Um, one of the things, that, and, and then before I move on is I also hear some of those struggles, right? We, we're, we have a life work balance. We're used to communicating a certain way. We have certain culture that allows us to only say the make decisions a certain way or only speak a certain way or only speak at a certain time. And that really brings us back to the culture of the organization. So I can speak to what we're doing at Microsoft right now and a couple examples that, that have been fun, that have been really inclusive um, or across our organization to help our businesses run. And one of those things, first and foremost, I heard a lot of tools that we're all using to kind of stay afloat and communicate. Um, one of the things to be aware of is, you know, there's a lot of ambulance chasers out there right now. And what I mean by that is, Every single email that everyone's gotten, it says COVID-19 on it. It says, click here, click there. I think I got a COVID-19 email from my lawn, um, healthy lawn person yesterday. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, keeping my grass green. So with that being said, there's a lot of solutions and a lot of tools to utilize. What I challenge everyone to do is what we're asking clients to do that are asking for solutions is look for what you already own. Look at what's platform-based right? How do you invest in something that you can build on top of? Because the more tools that you adopt into a small organization now, into a large organization now, the more you're going to have to manage later, the more decisions you're going to have to make. So when you're looking at ways to communicate, when you're looking at tools to utilize, look from a platform level instead of what you can use to effectively get communication out and then optimize that. And what I mean by that is we use a tool like Zoom, we use Teams, or let's say use WebEx, Teams, Zooms, whatever it is, you know, be inclusive of the community that you're starting to engage with. Um, I think, Susan, you mentioned, how do I balance talking if I have my kids here, if I have my dog here? I was on a call with a, our corporate vice president uh, of, of cyber um, last week, and then they, and there was another call with another director within one of our groups, and the dog jumped on his lap. <laughs> and it was a call with a couple of our executives on there. It was a couple other, you know, client-facing conversations that we were kind of dealing with, and there was kids running in the background. And we stopped the call, and everyone who had a dog brought their dog onto the call and started introducing their dog. Um, this morning, I was on a call where the kids were building a fort, and the kids stopped the call, and they started waving 
at, at the camera while mom and dad were trying to have a serious conversation. This is the new normal that we're seeing. So instead of hiding it and trying to communicate around it, start including your life into this new normal. I used to have an office in the house. My wife works from home. Guess where I'm working out of now, as you can see, the garage, right? So, I mean, <laughs> this, is the new, this is the new normal. And this is how you can start moving these conversations forward and getting rid of all of that, all those layers that used to be there and going right to the transparency of that conversation and getting that conversation out there. And that's how we're seeing businesses thrive and starting to communicate a little better. And one last thing I'll end, because I don't want to take up a lot of time, uh, if there's any questions, send it over, is we started putting virtual coffees up where it's not mandatory time where you could just jump on and start asking questions and just have your camera on, whether it's on your phone, whether it's whatever. But having virtual social interaction during the day to not just communicate socially, but so communicate professionally has been a good way to retain that culture. But again, like everyone's mentioned so far, communication is key. And in my opinion, not so much throwing tools at it and looking, at, looking for all those ambulance chasers that are going to help you, but start utilizing some of those platforms that you already own. And if you don't own any, start looking at tools as well that, can, you, can, that you can build a platform from. That's awesome. I think we should actually, we'll, we'll have a segment or a time where we can come back and talk about some of those tools and just kind of hodgepodge. Everybody can throw them in uh, that's on chat and the people that are on here, et cetera. But Shelly Smith, uh, I don't know if anybody here, most of you should know who she is, uh, deals in culture. And she asked a question, uh, how are you managing your work, workplace culture shifts? And so I want to feed that into a conversation that I had with Jeff, where you know, Jeff, how long have you been uh, teleworking? You've been like 2004 or five or something. You've been doing <laughs> yeah. this for a long time. We did a startup in 2004 that got bought by Cisco. And I basically stopped going in the office in November of 04. So about awesome. 15. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to transition into the question that Shelly was asking, which is, how are you managing your workplace culture shifts? And if, if those are people that have always been working remotely with you, then maybe that's one thing. But but maybe there's a segment of people that did have to have to shift and you're coaching them through it because you've been through it yourself. If you could walk us through that, that'd be great. Yeah. And, and just uh, a bit of background on that piece of it. So I've been working from home. Uh, I had a two year break where I did another startup where we were in the office every day, but I've been working from home every day for about 15 years. Um, we live on a half acre lot in downtown San Jose that's walking distance to shops and stuff. So you know, we, we get cabin fever. That's a normal thing. And so the biggest shift in, in the COVID-19 stay at home order for us has just been, we don't get to go to breakfast every morning like we normally do to get away from um, the chaos in the house. But my wife's schools, homeschools our seven kids downstairs. We have about a 2000 square foot house and I'm in the back bedroom, which is the master bedroom in the back corner. So there's, so we have physical barriers that protect against sound. Um, but as far as the two camps, we can talk about that. I, uh, when I started at Oracle about three months ago, there were four other new hires who all are, were all kind of in our 40 and over age. We all started in the same month and we all come from different technology backgrounds. And, and um, so I started a, uh, just a team call, a virtual water cooler call for this group before COVID-19 came out. And I asked the guys on our weekly call yesterday, how many of you guys have been working from home for five years or more? And the answer in that constituency was 100%. So the average number of years working at home in our group of five was seven, like 7.8 years. So 
Um, I think that it's, it's normal to work from home. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, and so for those that, that aren't, I think that an extra level of patience and tenderness and care, um, I think we need to go from being robots like Vishal was talking about to really letting the layers down to where, you know, if you guys saw what the other side behind my MacBook looked like right now, you'd probably, probably think that was unprofessional. So I'll, I'll save you from that. But, but we do have lives that we have to have to manage. And I think being patient with people, um, one of the things that I noticed from our, from our VP, I won't mention the name, but he's the, the grand poobah of our organization at Oracle and runs a sales team of about 7,000 people. He did a video call last week and it was entirely focused on, we know you have families. He said, I have, I have family too. I've got two daughters. They're out of school right now. They're running around downstairs, just like your kids are running around downstairs. I want you to take the time that you need. He didn't talk about hitting the numbers. He didn't talk about what you have to do to, to deploy certain tools. He was human in his approach to that. And I, I really want to want to give a, a virtual anonymous shout out to that person and that type of behavior, because this is shocking for a lot of people. I mean, my kids are schooled at home. My wife stays at home. I work from home. The change, no breakfast. That's it. No breakfast out. That's the only change for me, right? But I might be in the one, the one percentile of that. Ninety uh, percent of the people don't work from home, and we need to to treat them like like the human beings that they are. Um, Susan was talking about clear communication and about structuring time in the day. Personally, I have enough structure in my day as far as meetings that that I don't need that. But man, getting time on the calendar, having regular check-ins with people, I think that goes a long way for people who are who are um, being disrupted. And I think that the last thing that I'll close with this is that we need to recognize that when people are in fight or flight mode, the conversations that we're having right now over a WebEx where I can, I can paint pictures of, you know, my guitar sitting on the bed or, or uh, getting up and, and getting a drink of water in the middle of a meeting, we can have those type of abstract conversations in this platform because it's a professional environment. There's a level of trust, right? But there's a totally different, I mean, just, craziness level of, of thinking when you're in that fight or flight mode. And the more that we can do to calm down the people on the other end of the phone, the more we'll be able to, to allow them to relax. Their nervous system will actually shift and you can have heart to heart conversations. Whereas if you're talking speeds and feeds and tools and numbers and make sure you hit quota and how's that deal coming like that on top of a fight or flight mentality is, is going to be counterproductive. So you have a business to run. We're all being paid to show up to work. Whether we're in the office or not, I get that. But but remembering that people in that fight or flight mode are going to have a really tough time um, having a normal kind of what would be considered a professional, mentally tough day to day conversation is it'd be very difficult. Can I can add just to that? On that? Because I, yeah. I think one of the things you've, you've hit on is how important is the connections we have with each other. And one of the things we've done at, in executive education is we have some meetings like Zoom meetings where we see each other. So one day someone says. Wear everybody wear a hat tomorrow. Any hat you want, yeah. but it, it brings some personality and person into what we're doing. And some folks who are working at home, they're all alone. That is their only contact. So let's remember to keep people engaged and connected and offer support. That's great. I totally agree. One of the one of the things, Jeff, that you know, when when you're working from home and and you're working that workflow, I I've only been doing it for a few years. It, it go into the office in and out. Um, but 
one of the big changes for me now. It's just because you got tired of flying F-18s. I, right. I get it. So okay. the, the one, of, one of the greatest things about it now is, you know, having that redundancy and in information. Um, one thing I didn't, I took for granted when I was at a small organization um, prior, to, prior to Microsoft was, you know, every meeting we had a certain piece of information that needed to be passed and everything was jam-packed through the day. So there wasn't time for redundancy. And what I've noticed now over the last two weeks is we've actually built into our process redundancy. So that's recording meetings. That's being able to reference things offhand. That's being able to show up late and then reference where that data is. So going back to what Andrew was saying, where's that data being stored? How are we referencing it? What's important? What's not? And building the redundancy into the day so that you know the information's getting passed, right? Because usually an email isn't good enough. A conversation isn't good enough. And especially when you're working from home, there's a lot of things that are going in your mind and a lot of things that are happening around you where you may hear information at one point, but how many times does it take before it actually sets in your mind? So that redundancy, building that into your process, I saw a question about agendas and building in meetings. Building a redundancy into your process when you're building an agenda out in terms of meetings, keeping them short, but keeping them consistent. Maybe having that message circulate two or three times a day is a good way to get that message across the line to, to your team, to your organization, to your clients. Yeah. I'll second that, Michelle. I, um, one of the big obstacles that we've had to try to figure out is we cannot require attendance from here on out for right. our uh, online classes. And it's just simply because it's possible that people will not have the ability to attend uh, due to bandwidth or other, or they might be sick. So we have to build in all of these different ways through redundancy that they can still get the information and still be able to catch up later. And it, it, it really is true. And, um, and then back to what, what Jeff was saying and what Susan uh, was saying, um, we, we've been, it, it could be as simple as in terms of bringing back kind of the human side of things as every meeting you have a certain period of time where people just, you know, you, you, you're social. Um, and then you get down to business because I know we have to get down to business. We're, we're, we're trying to do that more and more or each time we get on, somebody shares a little bit about personally their, you know, their situation and what's different for them. I think what's interesting about all of this, uh, the current uh, COVID s scenario is we, we are social beings and now we're being separated physically. So it's not like we can, um, uh, it's more difficult for us to come together in some ways. And, and so having that time uh, in the meetings or anywhere else where you, you can allow it, I, I think really helps and, and it's important. I didn't want to lose this thought and I've been talking a lot. Um, so feel free to jump in, uh, jump in anyone else. But I just got off of a meeting earlier today and I had a, I had a team member say, I, I just jumped on the meeting. I said, hey, I need a, another two minutes. I've got to log in my daughter to Google Classroom. She's got a, she's, you know, I've got, I need, I need six more minutes to jump on. I jumped on the meeting and I, and I said, listen, it's a circus here. So give me a second. And I've got this person logging on late. The computer is having problems, you know, one, two, three different issues. He just sat there. And when, when I stopped, he said, you know, this proves my point. I was told yesterday to build in five minutes of social venting time before any meeting. <laughs> and, and in the, in those four minutes, we got everything out and we jumped right into content. And that meeting actually ended earlier than usual. We got a lot done, but Andrew, to your point, right? You have to build in that, um, that social aspect to those meetings. And even at a large organization like ours, that is key. Whereas a small organization, it's more, more of, 
I would say, an intimate family type conversation if you, or even the smaller the team you have versus the larger the team, right? So in all aspects, building that social time is key. I wanna, I wanna jump in on, on that piece, Vishal, and give a shout out to Kate Johnson, um, your, your boss there at Microsoft. She did an interview with Dr. Bren Brown. Yeah. It was posted on LinkedIn. Um, maybe a week ago, you can go, I think it's, is it Kate Johnson? I think it's the last Kate Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. I saw um, that. And that, that talk was, it was meaningful for me. Um, I think the reason why you're seeing people get rid of the layers is because of vulnerability. Now there's certain things that you, know, you talk about marriage problems or money problems or something. There, there are some things that in a professional context are not necessarily appropriate, especially at scale on a webinar. However, um, there is something to be said for being vulnerable. And the one thing that's tying everybody together right now is we're all vulnerable at the same time. Like this, right. and this is like a World War II or a depression um, or a September 11th if you're, if you're from New York. I mean, we felt it in California, but you talk to the people who were there in New York, New Jersey area or Connecticut during that period, it was like, man, whatever you need, I've got your back. You need milk, you need bread, you need a kid's ride to the school, I've got you, right? You saw people come together because everybody was vulnerable at the same time. And so oftentimes in the corporate world, in the video world, it, we have this knee-jerk reaction that says, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want people to see that I'm hurting right now. I don't want people to see that my kids. And yet, because the status quo has been shifted to everybody's vulnerable at the same time, we all need a hug, right? Um, that, that you can actually build. What I found is that when people are hurting, it's the best time to build relationships. You can build 20 years of rapport in two weeks by lifting somebody up. And I'll give an example. I have a friend of mine that's a former client. And he is, uh, he had five weeks before he was out of business. And I was up with him until two o'clock in the morning this last week uh, for, for free, right? I'm not on retainer with him anymore. I'm not doing speaking engagements for him anymore, but he's a friend and he just called me. He's like, yeah, I think I got to let some people go uh, on Monday and I don't really know what to do. And I'm like, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get on a WebEx right now. I'm going to get on my iPad and we're going to map out a plan for you to go from catastrophe striking to actually knowing what to do, which people you can keep, how long you have left. And we, uh, we drew a bell curve out with a, with a burn down chart and we shifted his business from being out of business in five, in five weeks to being out of business in seven weeks if no money came in and if he paid all of his taxes on time. And he's, he's like looking at this at the end of three hours like, oh my gosh, I've got a business here. We can do this. We can, I can, I can stay in business long enough to get through COVID-19, man, that guy will be the, I mean, he's already a great friend, but that guy will be my best friend. His I'll be his best friend the rest of his life because I showed him in his time of need, how he can get what he wants, which is to not go out of business and lay off any more people than he absolutely has to. And I think if we pivot from, yes, we're vulnerable. Yes. Things are kind of shaky to wait a minute. I can make, tectonic plates shift in the relationships that I have with other people because of the fact that we know that everybody's hurting at the same time. This isn't a time to back up and, and hold our cards close to our vest. This is the time to double and triple down on those relationships and on our humanity because the relationships we build in the next 60 days could last us 20 years. Jeff, I want to jump on that because one of the things you talked about was our humanity and the relationships we have. And I think we're all struggling with both the content and the hard skills and the hard tasks we need to do, as well as the emotional aspects. And we're emotional beings. And we all have 
feelings. And so every communication that we're writing, every context that we're reaching out, both to our customers as well as to our staff, has both facts and feelings. We want to make sure we're letting people know we are thinking of you. We know different people are vulnerable than think they're vulnerable. We know what it's like sitting at home, sheltering at home, because it's, we're all doing it. Yet we all have different circumstances. How can we help you? What can we do? And people really appreciate that outreach, that emotional outreach at the same time. I, I totally agree, Susan. And one thing you're doing that I'm seeing you do and Vishal is doing as well, which I would encourage anybody, if you're trying to up your level of communication, I learned this from a professional speaker friend of mine who makes millions of dollars a year on the side outside of uh, capital, capital asset allocation. Um, he says, whatever you're doing, always make sure and tell a story and then get to the point. And if you're getting to the point, then tell a story. But those things need to go. That's right. And I'm watching, you, I'm watching you both tell stories and make points and then making points and telling stories. And I think that's a way of, of um, it's tough to pay attention on a video call. It's tougher because there's more things engaged, right? I have to look right at the camera. I have to not look at myself or, or what, and I'm trying to, try to focus on the audience, right? And to do that takes an enormous amount of energy. So if you can shorten um, data, like getting to the point, you know, Andrew's right, we have a business to run and we have, we have facts that we have to deal with. But if you can mix facts with stories, points to be made with, with anecdotes about how you can remember those, I think it'll make us more effective in delivering the data that we have to deliver but it also make us more human um, and help those relationships build at a time when this this should be a this should be a great time to lift people up when they're when they're down. Yeah. Wanted to wanted to take a stab at Barbara's question from um, and I know I'm probably jumping in front of you, Emily. Uh, yep, I was about to bring of, it up. So so thanks. Yeah, it, in terms of virtual and virtual meetings um, being a wonderful tool, and you know, in this emotional time, how do emotions come through? in virtual meetings and what tactics are used to be empathetic yet remain innovative and productive, right? So I, great question. I, I wanna take a first stab at it uh, because this is exactly what we are trying to live um, on my team and what we're doing. Having video on has been one tool to humanize a meeting. Mm -hmm. And by humanizing a meeting, you're, you're, vulture, you're virtually becoming vulnerable. Right. So, you know, changing your background, just having a different place, you know, you're you're showing a little bit of yourself that is going to that is going to make you vulnerable to everybody else. Right. So with that being said, you know, how how do you still remain productive in, in that environment when you have all these tools and all this access to different features? Well, that goes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of making it you know, being able to archive the information, being able to have it repetitive, having an open chat, being able to have someone be able to access that chat window or that, that, that content afterwards and being able to turn your video off and start typing. So for me, it goes back to not choosing tools to fix problems and forcing a conversation in, but letting someone be vulnerable by displaying their emotions through their personality, through who they are, through their life, yet still have the same platform to be able to um, start working through your workflow, whether that's Zoom, whether that's, you know, an email, whatever that is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be any organization, um, but, you know, try to, try to have that encompassed into one type of workflow. And that's how, you know, you can remain productive throughout your day instead of bringing up different pieces to stay productive and, and, and then express your social 
um, intent and, and, and show that you're vulnerable. But that's one way that we've been doing it is, is kind of utilizing tools like what we're on today and, and, and making them referenceable. We also had somebody who was supposed to get married and the wedding venue canceled on them and people couldn't fly and all this good stuff. And they went down to the courthouse before it closed and got their marriage license. And she took a picture with the ring on her finger, we're married, and put it on a line. And we actually have a, one of the channels in Zoom that's more for social things to make sure we have an opportunity to do that. We can share those things. We all knew she was getting married and she'd been building for this for a year. And then two weeks before it's supposed to come, look what happens, right? So I do think those are important things to build in and offer that yourself. So you give an example of sharing your own personal connection and what's happening to you emotionally. Sometimes we've done, uh, gone around the room and said, okay, just give me a number one to 10. How are you feeling today? 10 is fantastic. One is in the dumps. Where are we at? So these are, uh, you guys are bringing some, some phenomenal points up. And I think, um, you know, the key that we keep hearing is that humanization um, and really being able to bring, you know, kind of remove all those layers like, uh, like Jeff had said. And um, so I, I guess I wonder, and a question I would pose is, um, are we in the, are, are most organizations in the honeymoon phase of this, right? Where shifting over to a remote work for uh, remote work base might be fun for, for a little bit seems engaging what happens three weeks four weeks if this thing keeps dragging on um, any any thoughts around that or what you guys are doing right now to to really kind of prepare for that and um, you know keep that keep that morale keep that engagement on a very high level the, I, I the can tell you from, go, go ahead, go ahead Michelle, yeah man. I was gonna say from our standpoint um, I you know and maybe I'm optimistic right now I think we're in the middle of this and trying to figure out what it's gonna look like in a couple of weeks but my hope is that in a couple of weeks, people are going to be really excited to be social, even more so than they were before, that the interest in getting and engaging through these diff the platforms we might use, or however we can um, continue that engagement, will kind of just ramp up, um, that, you know, it's going to become more and more uh, important, especially with us, yeah, because of, and we have different, so many different generations that we're trying to talk to. Um, from faculty that are, I'm mean, not kidding, in, in their mid to late 70s, um, down to uh, students that we want to recruit that are in junior high, all the different platforms that we need to be, um, uh, you know, fluid with and, and understand from Instagram up to Facebook, you know, but also uh, the technologies that, that allows them to have that human element too. We're, we're just trying to figure out all the different ways we can prepare for that, have content, uh, have information for people when they need it, um, but also then just try to have more of, of the moments where they're, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're less planned as well. Um, so you know, we, we have some of that mixed in and we try to, to have both sides. Go yeah, ahead, Michelle. And yes. I was, oh, hi, it's Haley here. I wanted to build on that too is, uh, I don't actually think it's a honeymoon phase. I think people are feeling really frustrated. And, I mean, just from a lot of the arc customers over at Mural, it's been like, you know, we have to do this, but I, I don't get it. And I'm feeling alone and disconnected. So I think from our standpoint right now, it's experimenting with things that are going to work for teams and for customers at the moment. And I'm hoping that over the next few weeks, it becomes a little bit more of a, wow, we're making this work. It's happening. But then we as organizations are building awareness about those experiments, what worked and what didn't work, and learning and iterating on that to build some things into our culture that work when we're not 
necessarily face to face. No, I think that's all. all go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Michelle. Haley, I think you're I think you're onto something. Um, the my gut reaction when you asked the question, um, Sean, I think it was that, that asked. Um, most businesses are shut down, and we need to be very clear about that. Most businesses are not dealing with this very well at all because most businesses are mom and pop restaurants, mom and pop hardware stores. They're consultants, a business of one, a business of two. Um, in the United States, if you have a business that has more than 20 employees, you're in the top 20%. So 80% of businesses in America have less than 20 people working for them. And those people get up and go to work and get in their cars and drive to the office every day. So we need to recognize that if you're on this, if you're on this webinar, you're probably within the bubble of people who can still get stuff done. Uh, Haley's, Haley's doing a, a hurrah and a, and a jumping up and down virtually. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's great. Um, and, I, and the reason I bring that up is, is I live in Silicon Valley. Everybody here is rich. We live in America. Everybody in America is rich. Even the poor people are making 10 times what, what poor people in other countries are making. But we live in Silicon Valley and, and literally you qualify for low income housing in the city of Palo Alto if you have a total family income less than $250,000 a year. And that was like four years ago. So $250,000 a year is a lot of money to most people. You qualify for Section 8 subsidized housing if you make less than that, where, you know, just down the street from where I live. And Susan can attest to that. She's up at Stanford. Um, yes. so, so to recognize that, what, what are most people doing? Most people are freaking out right now because they're worried about where their food is going to come from, whether or not they're going to have to negotiate the lease on their apartment, whether or not their car is going to get repossessed, how they're going to pay their taxes. Thank goodness that's been extended, right? So... I just want to level set to say most people are not cool, calm, and collected because their rice bowl is being messed with right now. And we have to be, we have to be very, very careful of that. Um, I did do, I'm not advertising this, but if you want to go look, I did a Facebook live on the two main topics of mental toughness, uh, which has to do with keeping your narrative upgraded about what's true and then checking the unchecked opinions and rewiring those and then going through, um, physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental recovery habits, like deep breathing, like not working 16 hours a day because you can, like going for a walk or petting your dog or saying hi to a friend or taking time to go on Facebook and do something fun in between your work habits. These are all things that can allow you a higher level of mental toughness. But again, I'm preaching to the choir and I'm preaching to us all as leaders because for every one of us that's on this webinar, there's literally 10,000 people that are out of work and are threatened with not being able to pay their rent come the first of the month. Hey, I wanna, I wanna jump in really quick. You've mentioned now two or three things that uh, I don't see your name in the, in the chat and you should. If you get a second, Jeff, can you yes. put a link to the stuff that you're talking about with maybe a quick description so that the people that are listening in can actually, instead of searching it, they can find exactly what you're talking about, yes. not only for this one, but for the, yes. uh, for the other talk that you, were, uh, that you had uh, earlier in the week, if you could put that in there, that'd be great. Yes. That goes for, for everybody. Like we're, we're, uh, this is not a one and done thing. Uh, you know, I don't want to, to ruin the progress that we have right now, but I want you to know, like, we're going to keep going with this questions that aren't answered. We're going to, to keep asking different perspectives on them. And part of that is putting stuff in the chat and sharing the knowledge that you have. So we're hoping the people that are, are listening in are contributing just as much, if not in the blog session, than uh, than in the Q and A. So uh, sorry to interrupt you on the end of that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that keeps me up and it's, it's a little different because obviously I'm on, I'm on the tech side. One of our, one of the things our CEO said last year was every organization, every company is a tech company. Um, 
and whether you like it or not. And you know, one thing that's happened this week and last week is every organization has been forced to be a tech company, go digital, you know, work remotely, um, collaborate different in different ways. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned was, are we in a honeymoon phase? And we're seeing all these cool gadgets, all these cool products to go out and start working with people. I mean, I, I've got Hangout apps for my kids that I've never, I never knew existed. Um, that I'm just sharing photos and data through that I, I have no clue where it's going. And that leads me to an important thing to understand for a lot of individuals on the call today, as well as all of us here on the panel, is it's not just finding the right tools, but we're all vulnerable now. Um, and if you don't think for a second that people, state actors, aren't coming after our data, aren't going to start fishing for your information, aren't starting to look for where you're storing and how you're collaborating with people and, and their information, you know, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So, you know, the, the decisions you make on how you communicate with your team now, um, whether you're testing it, whether it's proven, whether it's not, are the you know, the outcomes of that are going to affect your business, your organization, your family in the long term. So when you are looking for solutions, and if it's hard now, and it's, it's something hard to absorb, you know, take a step back and actually look at what you are doing and, and how you're utilizing it. And is it sustainable? Um, and what are those second tertiary effects? And one example I'll use for you is there are organizations right now that are moving 100% into the cloud. They're utilizing Teams, they're utilizing Zoom, they're utilizing um, Google Hangouts, they're utilizing a lot of, lot of tools. But the end users aren't educated enough to understand how they're utilizing it and the data that they're putting out there. And they're starting to click on things and starting to give away data. And, and that in turn is costing businesses millions and millions of dollars in additional data breaches and additional issues. And then bringing resources to small organizations that are less than 10, five people that they don't have, causing them to go out of business, not just because of COVID-19, but because of simple malpractice in the way we utilize and innovate. So something to keep in mind, a lot of individuals on this call is how do we continue to innovate, keep our businesses open, um, start utilizing proven tools and methodologies, but do your research, look at what it is, and is it able, are you gonna be able to scale? Is it gonna maintain? Or is it just another tool or another business that 15, 20 years from now may not exist. And now you're gonna be stuck in the same position, right? So a lot of stuff there. I'll put some links that you know I've been going by in over the last two weeks from, from my organization and some others in the chat as well for you guys to utilize everything from education and and then you know how you should kind of prevent risk as well. Excellent, appreciate everybody's input on that. Um, so given, you know, given our current environment, uh, what do you guys see as the biggest opportunities, whether it's, um, you know, for your team, for your organization? Uh, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fear of what's going on, um, as Jeff had commented in there. And I think, um, you know, for, the, for some people, they're, they're, they're essentially pulled down by it. Some people, unfortunately, don't, don't, you know, that's their life and that's what they're in right now and that's what they're working through. Um, but what is, you know, what does that opportunity look like um, that you guys are going after that you, you see as a, uh, as a good potential? I can tell you from Stanford University perspective, there are a lot of things we're looking at that I think we've taken for granted. This crisis gives us an opportunity. So one of them is looking at 
does this help us look at our priorities a little differently? Not the short term, but for the long term. So we have on-campus executive education programs where people from all over the world come and hear the fantastic faculty. And we have online programs. We're looking at expanding programs that maybe are blended, have some online components and some on-campus components. We're all isolated now. If there are some things that we can bring to people across the world that would be helpful, that's something we want to expand upon. Um, looking at workloads, this is another time we can kind of really think, is this giving us an idea to look at that? Some of our processes, we've been doing them the same way, but now we look at, hey, we're doing it differently. Do we still need to have the same approval processes? Who makes what decisions? How much of this is because we've always done it this way? Telecommuting is something we've always done on a one day a week basis. Why one day a week and not different amounts of time? Those are kind of examples of questions we're asking ourselves. And it's, it's good to ask yourselves these questions because it helps you say, wait, let's look at it again. I want to I want to actually tie that into something with with Andrew. So not wearing maroon necessarily because he's on there, uh, although he was my professor at Virginia Tech. Um, the thing that comes to mind for me is the massacre at Virginia Tech and how we dealt with that. And it goes exactly to what Susan said about priorities. So uh, is there anything specifically that that you think on your end that you guys are shifting priorities either as a faculty uh, or you know for the students themselves? Uh, can you comment on that? Me or Susan? You. I, I, it, it's an individual effort. Um, uh, and I saw a, a nice comment that was talking about really trying to connect with people. Um, it, this is an opportunity for us to reconnect uh, with each other, but also uh, for leadership to connect with the priorities of the people um, at every different level and understand for their individual vulnerability what's important. Um, so, I, you know, we, we can map out, I can map out right now and tell you. Uh, with each one of our employees, what they feel vulnerable around, and then how we're trying to create a plan that would help them. And it could be as simple as we set up a special Zoom room for faculty who have never used it before and just need something, uh, need, need a place where they can kind of work on that. And we're trying to then follow really good uh, uh, social distancing practices so that people can have access to things like that. Um, it could also just be uh, uh, food insecurity, and you know, we, we see that with our students. Um, so we're we're trying to have people on our staff who are really tied in, like advisors, who can talk to us about uh, where they think there are problems and where those vulnerabilities lie, and what our plan should be. Um, I, I, back to what some others were saying before, I, I think an interesting opportunity here, which we won't really understand for quite a while, is how this is gonna shift perceptions. Um, and I think one of those is gonna be work-life balance. I think mm -hmm. now that we've been forced to have a work-life balance in our face for a little while, we're gonna to start to understand where priorities might exist and how we um, uh, wanna prioritize certain things and, and um, how we are gonna to try to balance that. And I'm sure Jeff has been doing that for a long time, but a lot of other people to, to Jeff's point is, uh, they, they, they probably have been getting up and going into the office every day and it's been a little different. Um, so. I mean, one example would be, uh, even though my wife and I share a calendar through Google, um, we really, I, don't, I, I think oftentimes we know as, le as long as one person is t taking care of things, that it's, it's, everything's going to be fine. Well, now I've got to worry about whether the piano practice is happening above my head at the same time as, right? And, and we scheduled that with our piano teacher, and we don't want to uh, disrupt her life. So... It, it, it's just, it's one of those things where everybody's going to have an individual kind of side to it. And you really got to try to get down to that level. And I, I see we, we don't have as much time left. So let me, um, 
uh, let me turn over the floor. Well, let me let me just put one piece on the on the tail end of Andrews. Like, let's look at what would happen if we didn't have these tools and the ability to work remotely, right? What would happen if we didn't have the internet? You're going to have very 15 lucky. million dead people in America. That's what you're going to have, right? Because everybody's going to get it, and you're going to get four percent, and they're going to die. So if we if we take things in perspective and look at, gosh, working from home is really tough. Well, yes, it is really tough. And it's when they don't get my latte the right temperature, I throw a fit and that happens too. But these are, these are the kinds of problems we want to have, right? Not taking a shower every single day is the kind of problem we want to have over 15 million dead people because there's no internet that exists. And that's exactly what happened in Europe in the 1800s with the, with the flu. So the fact that we're connected, the fact we can still be productive, oh my goodness, you know, I can get over my latte being 10 degrees off. I think I want to say something super quick just for the, the panelists and the audience. Um, and we're, we're iterating off of this, which kind of goes to what we've been talking about. You know, this, this is, we don't have, you know, all of the answers. Uh, most companies don't have all the answers. We're iterating through things. And one of the things we might do with the panelists here is if, if you feel like you haven't been able to say as much as what's on your mind, I know you guys could probably all fill your own hour we might ask you guys on the side to have like a quick sidebar five to 10 minutes with us throughout the week and, and produce some sort of uh, beyond, beyond this webinar scope so that you can share it with your, uh, with your network. We can share it with ours, et cetera, and we can keep the conversation going. Uh, so I want to make sure that uh, if, if you guys are interested in that, or if anybody has questions or in the comments, we can kind of tail into that as we keep going. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. That'd be great. This yeah, is just, like appropriate for me to put this, uh, this last one in there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're using that. That's so creative. So uh, just, just piggy, uh, piggybacking off of what John said, we really, really appreciate all the uh, attendees. We, you know, we're extremely thankful for the panelists. Um, we think that bringing people together is really the best thing to do here. And I think we've heard, uh, heard about that on all different levels. Um, both, you know, in between individuals and in between companies, organizations, and, um, you know, even here. So uh, we, we thank you. We're super appreciative of your, uh, of your time. Um, you know, viewers out there, if you know anyone that uh, would find value in this, please feel free to share it with them. Uh, as John had mentioned, we're doing this webinar series two times a week, uh, always looking to get other thoughts and uh, viewpoints in. Um, and I think, you know, as you saw today, there was uh, just a phenomenal amount of information that was shared. Um, so again, we appreciate uh, everything um, that everyone's doing out there. We appreciate the adaptability um, that each individual and each organization is taking. And uh, I want you to stay safe, stay, um, uh, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing and uh, making an impact. So thanks so much and have a uh, great day. Before, before you go, can I just let you guys know, I posted a link to the mental toughness thing I did on Facebook, which is great. But the real, the real valuable asset is the Harvard Business Review article on the making of the corporate athlete by Tony Schwartz, business partner to Jim Lair, who built a mental toughness camp for professional tennis players in the 1980s down in Florida. And effectively, every single one of the top 100 tennis players in the world went through their camp. His nine-page PDF is in a link in the general chat session. We'll, we'll make sure everybody that attended this, including the panelists, get everything that was in the chat. So that sounds awesome.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adapt and Overcome podcast from Alt-RPO. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and a comment with your favorite takeaway from the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the future episodes. If you're looking for more resources, you can visit our website, altrpo.com. That's A-L-T-R-P-O.com. We have information on virtual team facilitation, virtual team building workshops, as well as our webinar page at altarpo.com slash webinar, where you can register to be a participant or even apply to be a panelist on one of our future webinars. Don't forget, you can share any of our information with any of your friends or colleagues that you feel would really benefit. We are really hoping to add value to our community during this time of global crisis. We hope you're staying safe and healthy, and we look forward to seeing you soon.